0: fellow saints, and welcome back to Come Follow Me with Brother T. We are going back to the beginning of the Book of Mormon, and today we're going to cover the title page, the introduction, the testimony of the three witnesses, the testimony of the eight witnesses, the testimony of the Prophet Joseph Smith, and also a brief explanation about the Book of Mormon. The Prophet Joseph Smith stated, I told the brethren that the Book of Mormon was the most correct of any book on earth, and the keystone of our religion, and a man would get nearer to God by abiding by its precepts than by any other book. Jeffrey R. Holland said the Book of Mormon should be considered the most remarkable and important religious text to be revealed since the writings of the New Testament were compiled nearly two millennia ago. Indeed, in its role of restoring plain and precious biblical truths that had been lost, while adding scores of new truths about Jesus Christ and preparing the way for the complete restoration of his gospel and the triumphant day of his millennial return, the Book of Mormon may be considered the most remarkable and important religious text ever given to the world. So who wrote the title page? The Prophet Joseph Smith explained that the title page of the Book of Mormon is a literal translation taken from the very last leaf on the left-hand side of the collection or book of plates, which contained the record which had been translated, the language of the whole running, the same as all Hebrew writing in general, that is, from right to left, And that said title page is not by any means a modern composition either of mine or of any other man who has lived or does live in this generation. So based upon that information, it's probably written by Moroni. But what is the Book of Mormon? The Book of Mormon is an abridgment of the record of the people of Nephi and also of the Lamanites. And Merriam-Webster says to abridge means to shorten by omission of words without sacrifice of sense or to condense. The Book of Mormon also contains an abridgment of the writings of the Jaredites in the Book of Ether, and that was done by Moroni. The Book of Mormon includes the basic history of the people, sermons, and teachings by various prophets and leaders, and commentary, both spiritual and historical, by Mormon, the prophet who was called to abridge these records, and also by his son Moroni, who was called as a prophet to finish the work of his father. We learn in this that it was written to the remnant of the house of Israel, and this has reference to the coat of many colors given to Joseph by Israel, also known as Jacob. And the coat was torn apart by his brothers before they sold him into slavery, and there was a remnant that they took back to their father. And this remnant is compared to the descendants of Lehi, the first prophet of the Book of Mormon. In other words, this book was written for the descendants of Lehi or to those who have Native American blood. They are of the house of Israel through Lehi, who was a descendant of and in the tribe of Manasseh. And Manasseh was the son of Joseph, who was the birthright son of Jacob or Israel. Interestingly enough, this includes the descendants of Ishmael, who was of the tribe of Ephraim, also the son of Joseph. We also read in the title page that it was written by way of commandment and also by the spirit of prophecy and of revelation, and that it was written and sealed up and hid up unto the Lord that they might not be destroyed to come forth by the gift and power of God unto the interpretation thereof. So obviously it contains prophecy and revelation, but also look at the gift and power of God and consider what Emma, Joseph Smith's wife said. When my husband was translating the Book of Mormon, I wrote a part of it as he dictated each sentence, word for word, and when he came to proper names he could not pronounce or long words, he spelled them out. And while I was writing them, if I made any mistakes in spelling, he would stop me and correct my spelling, although it was impossible for him to see how I was writing them down at the time. Even the word Sarah he could not pronounce at first, but had to spell it, and I would pronounce it for him. When he stopped for any purpose at any time, he would, when he commenced again, begin where he left off without any hesitation. And one time, while he was translating, he stopped suddenly, pale as a sheet, and said, Emma, did Jerusalem have walls around it? When I answered yes, he replied, oh, I didn't know. I was afraid I had been deceived. He had such a limited knowledge of history at that time that he did not even know that Jerusalem was surrounded by walls. Joseph Smith could neither write nor dictate a coherent and well-worded letter, let alone dictating a book like the Book of Mormon. And though I was an active participant in the scenes that transpired, it is marvelous to me, a marvel and a wonder, as much so as to anyone else. We continue reading, sealed by the hand of Moroni and hid up unto the Lord to come forth in due time by way of the Gentile. President Benson said a powerful testimony to the importance of the Book of Mormon is to note where the Lord placed its coming forth in the timetable of the unfolding restoration. The only thing that preceded it was the first vision. In that marvelous manifestation, the Prophet Joseph Smith learned the true nature of God and that God had a work for him to do. The coming forth of the Book of Mormon was the next thing to follow. Think of that in terms of what it implies. The coming forth of the Book of Mormon preceded the restoration of the priesthood. It was published just a few days before the church was organized. The saints were given the Book of Mormon to read before they were given the revelations outlining such great doctrines as the three degrees of glory, celestial marriage, or work for the dead. It came before priesthood quorums and church organization. Doesn't this tell us something about how the Lord views this sacred book? L. Tom Perry said the major writers of the Book of Mormon fully understood that their writings were primarily for the people of a future generation rather than for the people of their own generation. Moroni wrote to our generation, I speak unto you as if I were present. President Benson also said if they saw our day and chose those things which would be of greatest worth to us, is not that how we should study the Book of Mormon? We should constantly ask ourselves. Why did the Lord inspire Mormon or Moroni or Alma to include that in his record? What lesson can I learn from that to help me live in this day and age? So brothers and sisters, that's what we can understand when it says to come forth in due time. It also says, by way of the Gentile, the interpretation thereof by the gift of God. In other words, it was prophesied and ordained to come forth from the great Gentile nation of the United States of America. A little lower down in the second paragraph it says, which is to show the remnant of the house of Israel, again, there it goes talking about the remnant of the house of Israel, what great things the Lord hath done for their fathers, and that they may know the covenants of the Lord, that they are not cast off forever. Bruce R. McConkie said, as far as the gathering of Israel is concerned, the Book of Mormon is the most important book that ever has been or ever will be written. It is the book that gathers Israel and that reveals, in plainness and perfection, The Doctrine of the Gathering of the Chosen Seed. It is the book given of God to prove the truth and divinity of his great latter-day work. It contains the fullness of the everlasting gospel and carries with it the evidence of its own divinity. Every person who is truly converted knows by the revelation of the Holy Ghost to the Spirit within him that the Book of Mormon is the mind and will and voice of the Lord to the world today. It is the Book of Mormon that causes people to believe that gospel and join the church. And as we have hitherto seen, it is the power that brings to pass the gathering of Israel. If there were no Book of Mormon from a practical standpoint, the gathering of the Lord's people in the last days would come to a standstill. The lost sheep of Israel hear the voice of their shepherd as it is found in that book and, heeding that voice, come into the true sheepfold. There is no way of overstating the importance of this book of Nephite scripture in the salvation of men in the last days. Again, reading further, and also to the convincing of the Jew and Gentile that Jesus is the Christ, the eternal God, manifesting himself unto all nations. Interestingly enough, back in the 80s, the brethren added the subtitle of the Book of Mormon, which reads Another Testament of Jesus Christ, and that was to emphasize that fact. President Benson said, do we remember the New Covenant, even the Book of Mormon? In the Bible, we have the Old Testament and the New Testament. The word testament is the English rendering of a Greek word that can also be translated as covenant. Is this what the Lord meant when he called the Book of Mormon the New Covenant? It is indeed another testament or witness of Jesus. This is one of the reasons why we have recently added the words Another Testament of Jesus Christ to the title of the Book of Mormon. Russell M. Nelson said, when you read the Book of Mormon, concentrate on the principal figure in the Book of Mormon, from its first chapter to the last, the Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the Living God. Jeffrey R. Holland said, the Lord has offered us one last covenant, given us one last testament as part of his final outreach to fallen man. He has offered us one last written witness of his love and his mercy extended for the final time. That testament and culminating witness that the new covenant offered to the children of men but once more is the message of the Book of Mormon. No record teaches more of God's promise to those in the last days. Those promises focus on His only begotten Son, on the merits and mercy and grace of the Holy Messiah, who shall make intercession for all the children of men, and they that believe in Him shall be saved. The task of the children of God in these concluding days of the world's history is to proceed with unshaken faith in him, relying wholly upon the merits of him who is mighty to save, to press forward with a steadfastness in Christ, having a perfect brightness of hope and a love of God and of all men, feasting upon the words of Christ and enduring to the end. This is the way, and there is none other way nor name given under heaven whereby man can be saved in the kingdom of God. No other book helps us do this so well. No other book was ever divinely produced and protected solely for that purpose. No other book has ever been written with such a full view of the future dispensation to which that record would eventually come. In its message of faith in Christ, hope in Christ, and charity in Christ, the Book of Mormon is God's new covenant to his children for the last time. Regarding Joseph Smith calling it the keystone of our religion, President Benson said, A keystone is the central stone in an arch. It holds all the other stones in place, and if removed, the arch crumbles. There are three ways in which the Book of Mormon is the keystone of our religion. It is the keystone in our witness of Christ. It is the keystone of our doctrine. and It is the keystone of testimony. Regarding the Book of Mormon helping us draw closer to God than any other book, President Benson said we should know the Book of Mormon better than any other book. Not only should we know what history and faith-promoting stories it contains, but we should understand its teachings. If we really do our homework and approach the Book of Mormon doctrinally, we can expose the errors and find the truths to combat many of the current false theories and philosophies of men. I have noted within the Church a difference in discernment, insight, conviction, and spirit between those who know and love the Book of Mormon and those who do not. That book is a great sifter. In the second to the last paragraph we read, we invite all men everywhere to read the Book of Mormon, to ponder in their hearts the message it contains, and then to ask God the Eternal Father in the name of Christ if the book is true. Those who pursue this course and ask in faith will gain a testimony of its truth and divinity by the power of the Holy Ghost. Elder Oaks said, What we get from a book, especially a sacred text, is mostly dependent on what we take to its reading, in desire and readiness to learn, and in attunement of the light communicated by the Spirit of the Lord. I would also reference you back to the podcast that I just recorded previous to this one titled Moroni chapter 10. What are the blessings of the Book of Mormon? President Heakley said the Book of Mormon so clearly illustrates the fact that when men and nations walk in the fear of God and in obedience to His commandments, they prosper and grow. But when they disregard Him and His word, there comes a decay that unless arrested by righteousness leads to impotence and death. Without reservation, I promise you that if each of you will read the Book of Mormon, there will come into your lives and into your homes an added measure of the Spirit of the Lord a strengthened resolution to walk in obedience to his commandments and a stronger testimony of the living reality of the Son of God. I love this story told by James E. Faust. He said, Sister Cecilia Cruz Ayala of the Puerto Rico San Juan Mission decided to give the Book of Mormon to a friend. She wrapped it in attractive paper and set out to deliver her present. On the way, she was attacked by a bandit who stole her purse and with it the wrapped copy of the Book of Mormon. A few days later, she received this letter. Mrs. Cruz, forgive me, forgive me. You will never know how sorry I am for attacking you. But because of it, my life has changed and will continue to change. That book, the Book of Mormon, has helped me in my life. The dream of that man of God has shaken me. I am returning your five pesos, for I can't spend them. I want you to know that you seem to have a radiance about you. That light seemed to stop me from harming you. So I ran away instead. I want you to know that you will see me again, but when you do, you won't recognize me, for I will be your brother. Here where I live, I have to find the Lord and go to the church you belong to. The message you wrote in that book brought tears to my eyes. Since Wednesday night, I have not been able to stop reading it. I have prayed and asked God to forgive me, and I ask you to forgive me. I thought your wrapped gift was something I could sell. Instead, it has made me want to make my life over. Forgive me, forgive me, I beg you, your absent friend. Such is the conversion power of the Book of Mormon. After the introduction, we have the testimony of the three witnesses, the testimony of the eight witnesses, and then Joseph Smith's own testimony. This is what Bruce R. McConkie said about such testimonies. He says, Whenever the Lord has established a dispensation by revealing his gospel and by conferring priesthood and keys upon men, He has acted in accordance with the law of witnesses, which he himself ordained. This law is, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, shall every word be established. Never does one man stand alone in establishing a new dispensation of revealed truth, or in carrying the burden of such a message and warning to the world. In every dispensation, from Adam to the present, two or more witnesses have always joined their testimonies thus leaving their hearers without excuse in the day of judgment, should the testimony be rejected. Let's talk about these various witnesses here. Many of the eight and all three of the three witnesses fell away from the church at some point, but none of them denied their testimony of what they had seen. Of the three, Martin Harris and Oliver Cowdery came back, but David Whitmer did not. However, He confirmed his witness on many occasions, despite his animosity toward Joseph Smith. If you want to study a very good account of that, check out James H. Moyle and his account of talking with David Whitmer when David Whitmer was quite elderly. In reading the account of the three witnesses, we know that they were shown the plates by an angel and allowed to feel and observe the plates. And the angel was most likely Moroni. And obviously, seeing an angel and feeling the plates that you've heard about for so long would be a very indelible experience. However, Henry B. Irene said those three witnesses had something more, something we all need. The Holy Ghost bore witness to their minds and hearts that what they saw and heard was true. The Spirit told them that the angel was from God and that the voice was that of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, witnesses are important, but to receive an individual witness, it is more important to study by the Spirit. James E. Faust said, knowledge comes through faith. In our day and time, we must come to know the truthfulness of what was on the golden plates without seeing them. They are not available for us to see and handle as they were for the three witnesses and for the eight witnesses. Some of those who actually saw and handled the golden plates did not remain faithful to the church. Seeing an angel would be a great experience, but it is far greater to come to a knowledge of the divinity of the Savior through faith and the witness of the Spirit. One of the last line in the testimony of the three witnesses says, Nevertheless, the voice of the Lord commanded us that we should bear record of it. Wherefore, to be obedient unto the commandments of God, we bear testimony of these things. And we know that if we are faithful in Christ, we shall rid our garments of the blood of all men and be found spotless before the judgment seat of Christ and shall dwell with him eternally in the heavens. And the honor be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, which is one God. Amen. What a powerful testimony by those three witnesses. Well, how did we get these plates? And this is what the Prophet Joseph Smith talks about in his testimony. night of September twenty-first, 1823, Joseph Smith was praying, and Moroni appeared to him as a resurrected being. He gave him a detailed prophecy and then explained where he should find the golden plates, along with the Urim and Thummim, so he could translate those plates. He commanded Joseph to get them, translate them, and protect them. And Think about Moroni. He spent his whole life fighting to protect this record. He buried it after wandering around lonely. Finally, he is telling a 17-year-old boy where to find them so he can translate it. He comes back two more times that night and he says the same exact thing. And Joseph tries to go to work on the farm with his father the next day and is too tired to be useful, so his dad sends him home. And on his way home, he falls while climbing over a fence and Moroni comes for a fourth time to tell him the same thing again and also to go and tell his dad. So, of course, Joseph Smith, being obedient, does so. And at some point, Joseph goes to the hill that the Nephites called Cumorah. And he finds the plates, etc., and when reaching for them, he's told he cannot have them yet. He's instructed and then told to come back at the same time the next year. And he came back every year, and four years after that time, he was given the plates to translate. He says it was difficult keeping the plates safe, but with the help from God, he was able to do so. He eventually translated the record and published it. And how blessed we are to have this record. Yes, it is miraculous how we received it. I know it to be a true record and a sure translation. I know that the Book of Mormon is the Word of God through ancient prophets who lived on what we now call the American continents. Reading and studying this book helps bring me closer to the Savior and to understand His role in the plan of salvation. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. If you have any comments, questions, or concerns, as usual, you can reach me at drjaredthomas at gmail.com or send me a text at 916-412-2136. Thanks and have a blessed day.